You're listening to The Vine Podcast, episode number 10. On today's episode, I'm talking all about Pinterest graphics, including how many pins you should have per blog post, how many templates you should have, how many photos you should use, all about fonts, colors, and more. I'm so excited to dive into today's episode. Let's go. You love the time you get to spend creating content on your blog and connecting with your audience, but building a brand and working on your website, that's where it can feel overwhelming. With all of the lists out there of everything that you should do, sometimes you just feel like giving up. But friends, there's a better way. When you spend time strategically thinking about your blog, you'll discover what is essential to build a successful and sustainable business and what's not. I'm your host, Madison Wetherill, a WordPress web designer and branding strategist for food bloggers. I'm here to help you think strategically about the brand you're building, connect with your ideal audience, and ultimately convert them into raving fans, the ones who actually make your recipes, interact with you, and make this whole food blogging journey worth it. It's time to design a business you love and remember why you started a blog in the first place. Welcome back to another episode, friends. I'm so glad that you're joining me again. Now, lately I have been designing a ton of Pinterest graphics. I just went through and created a bunch of new pins for my own blog with the holidays coming up so that I can get my holiday content in front of some new eyes. And I've been doing this for a lot of my clients as well. And it seems like the rules for Pinterest are always changing, but the one thing that has never changed with Pinterest is that you need Pinterest graphics. There's some food blogs that can do really well with non graphics for their food blog where it's just a photo of their recipe, but for the most part, food bloggers are really going to benefit from having Pinterest graphics where there is a text overlay over their image for more people to go to their content. So today I'm going to be diving into my tips for designing Pinterest graphics and what you really need to consider. Very first thing I want to cover is the general layout for your pins. So you want to be designing pins that are a two to three ratio in terms of their size. So this could be 600 by 900 pixels, 1000 by 1500 pixels, 1200 by 1800 pixels, etc. But the way that the Pinterest algorithm works is that it's going to cut off any images that are at a different ratio than this. So the long pins that used to be around, or they're sometimes referred to as giraffe pins, those are generally going to get cut off if they are not performing really, really well by Pinterest. So you really want to make sure that when you're designing Pinterest graphics that you are using their ratio that they have recommended, which is two to three. So let's talk about photos because really the image is about half of the most important things about your Pinterest graphics. So you wanna make sure that your photo is going to have a couple of things. So I like to use vertical images for the photo within a pin. Now you don't have to use a vertical image, but I found that when you consider how small someone might be seeing a pin if they're on their phone, really having a vertical image is going to take up the most space on a pin and is going to showcase your recipe the best. So you're looking for photos that are high resolution. Now this is going to be not high resolution in terms of what you would get printed for a photo, but you wanna make sure that the image you're using is not blurry or fuzzy when you're using it in a pin. This is gonna be pretty easy to do most of the time because when you're looking at a pin and you're designing it, it's going to be much larger than it actually would be if you were looking at it on your phone or even on your computer within the Pinterest feed. You wanna make sure that the photo is appetizing. This photo really should showcase how delicious your recipe is. So if your photo looks kind of gross or looks like dog food, you obviously don't want to use that image. 
You want to make sure that the photos you choose are not going to look stretched or distorted when you use them in your pin. So sometimes when you're using a photo like in Canva, for example, you might have to stretch it so that the part of the photo that you want showcased the most is kind of in that photo part of your pin. So you want to make sure that whatever image you choose doesn't end up looking distorted or really stretched out and fuzzy. You want to really use the drool-worthy images that you're known for for your blog, the ones that are going to make people stop in their scroll when they're on Pinterest, and the one that showcases the best part of your recipe. So if, for example, your recipe is for a chocolate mousse pie, maybe it is the image that shows the fluffiness of the mousse in the pie, or maybe it's the image where you've taken a bite out of the front of the pie so you can really see the texture that is in the filling. Images like that are really going to perform well on Pinterest because it gives people literally a taste of what that recipe might be like. Now for images for Pinterest, I really like to use a finished image. I don't really find that process images are going to do as well on Pinterest in terms of what you're using for your main graphic. So I like to use a finished image that is styled and really shows what the food is going to be when they're done rather than something that might be throughout the process of creating the recipe. And lastly, you want to make sure that the focal point of your image is centered in the space that you have in your template. So if for example, the background of your image is kind of blurred and you're using kind of that style of photography, that's not the part of your pin that you want really showcased. You want the focused part of your recipe. Let's talk about the text that's on your Pinterest graphics for a second. Your text doesn't have to be your blog post title exactly. It can be a variation of your blog post title or it can be something totally different. Sometimes we're naming a blog post based on an SEO keyword that we're trying to get and so sometimes on Pinterest it makes sense to use a different title or a more descriptive title with more adjectives or keywords kind of thrown in there. With that said though, the amount of text that is on your Pinterest graphic should be minimal. You probably don't want more than three to five words on your Pinterest graphic because any more than that is going to be hard to read, especially on a mobile device. You want to imagine that you're looking at this image at 25%, so way smaller than when you're designing it. Sometimes when I'm designing pins, I will actually zoom out on Canva or whatever program I'm using to make sure that I'm getting a zoomed out view of what this pin would look like when it's a lot smaller than how it is when I'm designing it. So you want to use text in a way that makes sense. So for example, if you are sharing a recipe that is gluten-free and paleo and Whole30, maybe you want to include a little bit of that text underneath the blog post title that is on your graphic. Again, you have to use this sparingly because people are going to see it much smaller, but really everything that you're putting on your Pinterest graphic should add value to that recipe. So you want to think about those keywords that you're adding to your Pinterest description and see if you can add any of those into your pin graphic itself. So things like the dietary needs of this recipe, maybe it's that it's a 30 minute meal or a quick lunch. Those sorts of descriptors on the text of the pin is really going to help people to connect with the recipe and figure out if it's something that they want to make and click into. And I kind of want to touch on, I've talked about this a few times on the podcast, but the intention of somebody that is going to that blog post. So if you know that your recipe is a 30 minute meal and someone is going to need to know that when they come to the blog, if they're going to click from a Pinterest image 
into your blog and the first thing that they're going to do is go to see how long this recipe is going to take, include some of that information on your Pinterest graphic when you can. If you can't include it in the graphic, then definitely make sure you're including it in the description. Things like the quantity that it makes or the amount of time that it takes or if it's a no-bake dish or a one-pot meal, those sorts of things are what people are searching for on Pinterest, but it also would hopefully benefit them to see that on the Pinterest graphic and then if they don't even see the description, it's okay. They can click and see exactly what they're looking for for. You definitely want to make sure that the text that you are using is large. It really should fill out a lot of the space. You're kind of having to balance wanting your image to be the focal point with also wanting to make sure that your text is large enough that people can read at that 25% zoomed out look. So play around with different size text, but in general, I like to put one word on every line. I do have some templates that I will use where I have two words per line, but I've found that especially if it's a shorter blog post title, three to five words, that having every word on one line can really help it to be as big as possible and make it really legible on a mobile device. Let's talk about fonts now. I've mentioned this before, but you really want to make sure that you're using simple and legible fonts. This is not an area where you want to get crazy and have a lot of personality on your pins. You want to make sure that the fonts are going to be legible when they're super, super tiny on someone's phone. I really don't recommend using a script font hardly at all. If you're going to use one, use it for one word, not multiple words or an entire blog post title. And again, make sure that the script font is large and it can be read on a small device. When possible, I love using a font that is part of someone's branding or part of their website. So something like what they're using for their headings or for their actual logo or an accent. I love using those fonts when I can, but only when they're easy to read when the device is small. You can use a balance of sans serif fonts and serif fonts on your designs. Curly and curvy fonts really are going to be more difficult to read, so just avoid those completely. You want to stick to sans serif, serif, and maybe an accent of a script font that is super legible. Another pro tip that I will tell you is you can adjust the letter spacing in between the letters to make it easier to read on smaller screens. You can use this technique with Canva or with whatever program you're using. Some programs will call this the kerning is the technical graphic design term, but I know on Canva they refer to it just as a letter spacing and you can literally just slide the little bar across until it looks like there's enough space in between letters. It doesn't need to be super spaced out where it looks awkward, but just a tiny bit of space in between letters can really help it to be more legible, especially the smaller that it goes. Let's talk about colors. One of the biggest mistakes I used to see people making a lot on Pinterest is that they would have a Pinterest graphic that had a background color that was white. Now, if you've ever noticed when you're scrolling through Pinterest, the background of the website of Pinterest is white. So when you have a white dominant pin, it's going to be really hard for that pin to stand out. So using color is really important on Pinterest graphics. Now you can use your own brand colors if they work for your pins. Now, if your brand colors really clash with the food that you're sharing, this is an example of when this wouldn't be a good idea. Or if you have something like brown or kind of an orange that doesn't look good in a large quantity, then maybe you don't want to use your branded colors. But if you can, it's a really good way to help people to start recognizing your branded pins on Pinterest and help to recognize your brand and trust it before they even click into the website. 
you really want your Pinterest template to have a balance of colors. So another example is if you are sharing a pumpkin muffin recipe, you wouldn't want the entire background of your text area to be orange and the same color as your pumpkin muffins. Instead, you might want to use a different color and maybe an orange accent for the text. You really want to play around with it and make sure that the whole thing feels balanced. It shouldn't all feel like it's one color because that's kind of make it hard for the image itself to stand out and for someone to see it and stop in their scroll. I recommend having different primary colors for different templates. So if you have, let's say, three to five templates that you kind of rotate between and are using for your blog, have the main background color of the text be different colors on those templates. Don't just use the exact same color. And this can work really well if you already have a couple of brand colors. And if you don't have multiple brand colors, then find some that are complementary to what you have and you can make those work as your colors for your Pinterest graphics. Another question that I get a lot is how branded should your Pinterest templates be? And this really depends. One thing that you definitely want to have is something that recognizes that it's your pin. So it could be your logo. If your logo is simple enough that it can be small, it can be your URL, or it can be a submark or an icon that you use. This is mostly just for people to be able to recognize your pins, but it also is really helpful so that people can't steal your pins and use them for their own. So I definitely recommend having something that distinguishes that it's from your website. Pinterest is really so saturated these days that it's not as common to see pins that when you're scrolling, you immediately recognize the brand behind that pin. There's just too many blogs out there that are using similar styles for their pins that this just isn't happening as much. But I do think it's important for you to be making sure that your Pinterest graphics are on brand for you and they don't feel out of place for the rest of your brand. Let's dive into specific tips for designing Pinterest graphics. I recommend having anywhere between three and five templates that you rotate. The nice thing about this is once you create them, now you're going to be able to create at least two to five pins for every blog post that you create. Pinterest has said more recently that they don't like to see bloggers being spammy with their pins, which to them basically means repinning the same image over and over again. So the way to combat this is to make sure that you have multiple images that you can pin for every blog post that you have. And I know this might seem overwhelming. You don't have to start with having multiple images, but just know that you could potentially run into a situation where Pinterest is viewing the way that you're pinning as spammy if you're using the same image too often. So when you have multiple images, it's much easier for them to get into tailwind tribes, for people to share them. Honestly, for people to not even realize that it's the same blog post and maybe they saw it in one pin and they didn't click on it, but later on they'll see it in a different template and they click on that one instead. It's just really a way to make your content work harder for you and work smarter for you so that you're not having to do more work by creating more and more content all the time. So you can rotate through these templates and have a variety and be able to get more out of every blog post that you have. With that being said, definitely test it. See what works for your audience and for your content on Pinterest. Not everyone's account is going to be exactly the same and that's where Pinterest gets a little bit tricky. But when you create different pins, you can experiment with changing the title on the pins and seeing if that helps one pin do better, or changing an image out and seeing if that helps that one do better. You can really see what works well for your audience, maybe different fonts. You can really figure out what makes the most sense for your audience and just always be testing different things. But when you only ever have one image, it's really hard to know whether it was the content that worked or didn't work or whether it's the pin graphic itself that works. It's just hard to know why something was successful or why it wasn't. Another tip that I want to mention is don't be afraid of white space. 
Now, it's really important to make sure that your photo and your text are really taking up the entirety of your pin graphic, but you also don't want things to be bleeding over the edge or even butting up against the edge. You want to have white space in terms of breathing room around your text, and you can really use your images strategically this way too. If you have an image with a lot of white space on the top, then that's where you can put your text so that everything works well together. Now, if you don't have like a background color where your text lays over that and you're putting the text directly over the top of your image, make sure that there's space between where the food stops and where the text begins. Otherwise, things are going to be cluttered and hard to read because there's not enough space in between those two elements. I've already mentioned this a few times so that you know it's really important, but make sure that the text is legible. You can do this while you're designing the pin, or you can even do it after you're done by making sure that you go through your phone on the app for Pinterest and making sure that you can actually read the text as you're scrolling. Because if you think about it, when people are scrolling super quickly, they're not going to be able to read something that's not only moving, but is super small. So you want to make sure that it's legible, people can read it on the fly, and it's really easy to read when it's small. Another question that I get a lot is how many images should you have within a Pinterest template? And this is one of those situations where the answer is it depends. And this is another situation where testing is really going to be important. Create one template that has two images and then create another template that just has one and you can see which one does better. It's also going to depend on the recipe itself and the images that you have. There are some images that are just those showstopper images where you know you don't want anything else to distract from that. And there's other images where maybe it doesn't showcase the entirety of what the recipe looks like. Maybe it's an overhead view versus a side view and you really need both in order to get a good idea of what the recipe is. But make sure that when you're adding extra images, you're doing it because it's adding value and it's going to help people to know that this is the content that they want rather than just adding it just to do it. But I think it's really important to have an example for both so that when you have a recipe where you need both, you already have that template designed. Now, speaking again of templates, I think it's important to revisit these every so often. So maybe it's every six months or maybe it's once a year that you either invest in new Pinterest templates or you create new ones on your own depending on what you are doing. And then you're going to have the ability to go back to your old blog posts. Maybe it's your seasonal content from the the upcoming season and you can create new Pinterest graphics for those blog posts so that you can help those blog posts reach more people. I hope that this episode has been helpful for you in hearing a designer's tips on designing your own Pinterest templates. But if you are completely overwhelmed hearing this and you know that design is not your strong suit and you have no desire to create these templates for yourself, I would love to work with you and help you create templates that would work for your blog. So you can reach out to me and let me know if you want to create some custom Pinterest templates for yourself. I also have plans to add some Pinterest templates to my template shop, so keep an eye out for that, and you can always check out what I have lately in the template shop by going to thevinepodcast.com slash shop. And if this is an area of your blog where you're looking for ongoing support and you're constantly going back and creating new pins or you need new graphics for your blog, then I would love to work with you on an ongoing basis. You can find out more about my monthly support packages by going to thevinepodcast.com slash support. In the meantime, I hope this has given you clarity on what you need for your Pinterest graphics and how you can create them on your own to make stunning images for your blog to help your content reach more people on Pinterest. If you're looking for just general Pinterest tips, my go-to resource for that is the Simple Pin Media podcast and blog, and they also have a Facebook group, so definitely check that out if you're needing kind of more Pinterest marketing strategies, but I hope this has at least given you some insight into the design side of Pinterest graphics. I will catch you guys next week. 
Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed it, I would love for you to screenshot it and share it with a friend. You can tag me on Instagram stories at Grace and Vine. For the show notes for this episode, head to the vinepodcast.com. Talk soon.